to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, um, we bow before you and we uh, come to submit to your word. And so I pray that you would enable us to listen, to hear, to believe, uh, and to walk with you in this new life that you give to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In this I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to Ephesians and chapter 1. I want to read uh, verses 3 through 14. Ephesians and chapter 1, please. Of course, this is the word of the Lord. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And then together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I want to take up this morning, uh, beginning in verse 11, this last section of this doxology that says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be through the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Obviously, these are the final sort of words of this doxology, this praise uh, that Paul sort of throws out, lays out for himself and us, his readers, um, this doxology, this praise to God. He praises God for the blessings that we have that come to us because we're in Christ. They come through Christ um, that... We are holy and blameless before him. I can only come in Christ. I can only come clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Where God actually, because of Christ, declares, all those who believe in him, to be righteous, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Uh, we know that we're adopted as his sons. Uh, that is, we have an inheritance. Uh, he is our father. We have access to him. We can pray. He speaks to us by way of his word, speaks to us in a very special way because we are his 
children were adopted, his sons were redeemed. That is, we have been bought by him. A price has been paid. In love, he redeemed us. He uh, paid for us. And that price he paid for freeing us from our slavery to sin and death was the very blood of his son. His gave his son that we would be freed from slavery to the penalty and power of sin. Um, he redeemed us. We're forgiven our sins. So for all of that, Paul gives thanks. He gives thanks to praise to God because the mystery of history has now been made known that we now know uh, the goal of everything. Um, and the goal of everything is ultimately to be united in Christ, to be gathered up in him uh, so that he can rule and reign over all things and on the new heavens and the new earth and the redeemed people all reflecting his glory. So, so, so Paul's thankful for that. He gives praise to God for that. And he knows how that's come about. This is why he gives praise to God and not to himself or to others. Uh, he gives praise to God because he knows that all this has come about and will come about by way of God himself. It's according to the counsel of his own will. He has purposed all things to work and he rules and reigns over all things so that um, this outcome will be. So Paul gives thanks to God for it and he knows then, of course, what that means for all who believe is that they've been chosen before the foundations of the world by God to be holy and blameless in his sight, predestined in love to be adopted uh, as sons. He knows this to be God's work, and so he gives praise to God. And now uh, we come uh, to, the, to the end of it. I, frankly, after I finished verse 10, I wonder what more could there be? We've come to the, sort of the ultimate of this, the focus of all this, everything being united in Christ. So, so why is there any more to this doxology? Oh, but there is, and perhaps it's because um, he has mentioned the Father and Son, but not the Holy Spirit yet. And so in these latter verses we see, especially in verse uh, 14, or 13, that he mentions um, the work of the Holy Spirit in in all of this. And so we ask that question, what is the work of the Spirit in all of this, in bringing us into this place of being saved, the salvation that is ours, and bringing all things to their rightful end? And we see a couple of words that are important to us, that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit who is in us and with us is the guarantee of our inheritance. So you get the sense that the work of the Spirit is very personal to us, very personal, bringing all of this which is true of us in Christ, very personal, bringing it to us. But, but before we get there, there's just a couple of observations we need to make. One is about pronouns. I was waiting to spring that on you. Uh, just the pronouns. Because it's really, uh, after you've read this about 50 times, it becomes startling uh, that all of a sudden 
we see a different pronoun. So far, for instance, in verse 3, we've seen us. And then in verse 4, we've seen us. Then in, 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 later in verse 4, we see we. And then in verse 5, we see us. And then in, in verse um, uh, 6, we see us. In verse 7, we see we. In verse 8, we see us. In, in, in verse 9, we see us. So we're us and weeing it. Uh, as Paul is including, it appears, all believers in this. And then uh, in verse 11, we see a we, but then that we is qualified by verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the, to the praise of his glory. But then verse 13, in him, you also. And so somehow Paul, right at that point, is making a distinguish between we and you, between we who are the first to hope in Christ and you also. Which is to say that you also, is he's saying the same kinds of things that happened to us, to we, uh, happened to you too, you also. But, but I want to make a distinction here for a moment to make sure that whoever you is knows that you're included in all of this as well. And, and so the sense that we get from this and other passages and just the history of redemption and, and all of that, we realize that, that Paul is using we language in verse 11 and 12 of Jewish Christians and the you of Gentile Christians. You see, well, why does he have to do that? Well, you know, in the history of redemption, things seemed to be and were fairly concentrated in Israel, so much so that by the time Jesus came, that there were those who thought that simply because they were children of Abraham, in terms of biology, children of Abraham, that then this salvation was just simply theirs. And No, 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 this isn't the way it is. It's always been by faith. It was by faith with Abraham and everyone else as well. And it wasn't simply just for Israel. In fact, in the, in the Old Testament, Israel was to be a light to all the nations. But um, now it's very explicit. And Jesus, you remember, said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. My spirit will come upon you, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We, we know that that didn't quite catch on quickly. In fact, it, it took a vision for the Apostle Peter to get it, to understand it, that this was not simply a Jewish thing, but it was to go out even to the Gentiles. You remember in Acts in chapter 10, you may remember there was a big meeting uh, in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 about this very thing. Could the Gentiles be saved? And if so, how? And the answer was in the same way that we have been, uh, all have been, and that is by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so all of that. So, and then, of course, the great hymn in Revelation that Jesus has redeemed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so, uh, so Paul's making that distinction here. In fact, uh, later on in chapter three, he'll talk about this mystery that, um, this mystery of Christ, uh, that is that the Gentiles, verse six in chapter three, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus uh, through through the gospel. So, in this opening sort of doxology, he's he's hitting on this point that we who are the first hope in Christ, those first Jewish believers, are to the praise of His glory, and so are you. And so we'll see just. As we look at this verse 12, it ends so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then finally in verse 14, after he gets everybody back together, we and you also um, to the praise of his glory. That's the ultimate of this. 
So just that pronoun, just to keep all of that in mind for a moment. But then there's another thing, and it's a bit of a translation difficulty, so let's just talk about it for a minute. Because if you have an NIV, a New International Version, you find that the translation in verse 11 is rather different than what I read in the English Standard Version. In the NIV, it's in him we have been chosen. And in the ESV, it's in him we have obtained an inheritance. <laughs> it doesn't even sound the same. Uh, and so, so that's just to kind of bring this to the fore. The difficulty here, just in terms of translation, I've been told, is that the word that's translated uh, in ESV, which is... Uh, uh, have obtained an inheritance or in, in the uh, NIV uh, chosen is a word that means simply chosen by Lot. Not by some guy named Lot, but by, you know, <laughs> by casting lots. Uh, and, 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 and so you've been chosen and, and it, it, the sense is always tied to chosen to get something and chosen very often to get an inheritance or to get something like an inheritance to inherit something. But the difficulty comes is, is that this is, this little expression, you see, uh, is in the passive. So it means that you've been chosen by lot for something. So the question is, for what? Well, if it's for an inheritance, then uh, ESV puts it, in him we have obtained an, an inheritance. Or perhaps it is that we've been chosen to be an inheritance. Chosen to be an inheritance. On the one hand, we get an inheritance. On the other hand, we are the inheritance. On the one hand, we are chosen to get, to, we receive this inheritance, and, and we know that. Uh, we know as believers in Jesus, because we're adopted into his family, as uh, Paul writes in Romans, we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So we know that we receive an inheritance. We know in ancient Israel that the Israelites received an inheritance, particularly land. And, and even when we uh, look in Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 14, we find that many of the uh, tribes were given land and the land was chosen for them by casting lots. And so their inheritance was land, uh, except for the Levites. They didn't get any land. They just got God. God says, I am your inheritance. And so the inheritance that they received, if you will, land and God, is similar to the inheritance that we receive, eternal life. We'll get the new heavens and the new earth to rule and reign with Christ. And God is our God. I mean, that's part of the wonderful covenantal formula. I will be your God. So this, as the Levites, as a kingdom of priests, we have as our possession, our inheritance, God. And that's certainly true. In, in fact, we, we read in Titus of this inheritance in Titus uh, chapter 3, uh, so that, verse 7, uh, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so we get that. It's certainly true that we've obtained an inheritance. But it's also true that we are God's 
inheritance. That is, we've been chosen to belong to him. We do belong to him. It isn't that he just simply says, I am your God. But he also says, you are my people. For instance, in Deuteronomy, somewhere, chapter 32, we we find uh, this passage where God speaks to his uh, his people. He says, but the Lord's portion is his people. It's the Lord's inheritance. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. So not only is he our, he is our God, but we belong to him. We are his people. Both of those things are true. That's what it, that's the struggle of the translators between the NIV and the ESV, which is really true here, which fits the context. And so I just raise that for you just in case you have uh, a, uh, um, an NIV and you're reading that, which is a fine translation, or the English Standard Version or whichever you have, however it puts it. Um, this sense, you see, that yes, we belong to God, we're his possession. And yes, God belongs to us as well. We've obtained this inheritance. We are chosen to be this inheritance. And then Paul says, that's what's true of us. We who were the first to hope in Christ, we Jewish believers, this is true for us. And it's also true for you. You also. But here's how he puts it when he talks to them, when he talks to these uh, Gentile believers in verse 12. He says, so that we who were the first to hope in, uh, verse 13, he says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. How did it happen for them? Well, they heard and believed. Just like what took place with these first Jewish believers. You may remember when Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2 on this special Jewish day of Pentecost when Jewish Men would come to Jerusalem from all over the world and uh, they would come on this day. You remember Peter preached a sermon and he preached the gospel. He preached about Jesus. Verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, verse 36, this is what he summarized. He said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He had just gone through their history and just gone through the gospel. And he said, you need to realize he's the Christ, this very one whom you've crucified. And then verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You see, that's the deal. That's the question. When we hear about Jesus, what happens? When we hear about Jesus, are we cut to the heart does it penetrate we go oh yes I see my sin and oh yes I see Christ as the savior my savior there's a hymn that's sung to the same tune of of um, baptized into your name most holy Um, I don't know if you like that hymn I sing it every day it's one of my go-tos. Uh, has two more verses, by the way. But anyway, uh, the uh, but there's a, another one called By Grace I Am an Heir of Heaven. And uh, one of the lines in that hymn is, I know my sin 
and in all its greatness, but also him who sets me free. See, that's being cut to the heart. I, I get it. I'm convicted. I know it. And, and you, you hear their next expression. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Here we are. Here we are. Convicted, convicted of our sin. We hear about this Jesus, the very one we've crucified. And so, so what do we do? And, and he says, well, repent uh, and be baptized. Repent and believe, if you will. Um, turn away from, from your, your sin. Um, this very same gospel would be preached to the Gentiles in Acts. In chapter 10, when Peter comes to these Gentile household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 um, verse 34 so Peter opened his mouth and said truly I understand that God shows no partiality but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ he is Lord of all you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, uh, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the, the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, and re, in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Same gospel, same truth about Jesus, you see. So you also heard this and you believed. You heard it and believed. Uh, Paul speaks of this same gospel in Romans and chapter 10. In verse 9, he says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Same gospel, same message. He says, you also, when you heard it, you believed that is it, you see. And we know, as Paul lays all of this out, that these Gentile believers, just like the Jewish believers, came to faith. And they would know that it was because of God had chosen them and predestined them. But yet still, he says, you must hear it and believe. In fact, and I asked this question a couple of weeks ago, but it's important just to review. How is it that we know that we're among those chosen and predestined? How do, how do we know that? Well, the answer is, it's how we respond to who Jesus is. That's how we know. John Calvin, if I may quote him again, as I did a couple of weeks ago, um, puts it like this. He says, how do we know that God has elected us before the creation of the world? His answer is this, by believing in Jesus Christ. Whoever believes is therefore assured that God has worked in him and faith is 
This is a wonderful way of putting this, by the way. So I just want you to prepare for something wonderful. This is a, this is a wonderful way. I would have never put it this way because I'm not that smart. But, but this is just a helpful way if you think about this. So whoever believes is therefore assured that God has worked in him. And faith is the duplicate copy that God gives us of the original of our adoption. Let me say that again. The faith is the duplicate copy that God gives us of the original of our adoption. So there's our adoption form. Well, faith is the duplicate. That's the copy we get. <laughs> He's adopted us. And when we believe, we go, oh, yes. That's the duplicate copy of the original our adoption. God has his eternal counsel, and he always reserves to himself the chief and original record which he gives us a copy by faith. And so we believed. We were the first to believe. You also heard and believed. You have the same thing we have. You are the same people of God as we are all together. So notice what happens then, how he puts it. Uh, verse 13. For in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, now the Holy Spirit is active in our salvation, active in our conversion. He draws us to Christ, right? He's the one who gives us new life that we may believe. I, I read about that in, in, in Titus earlier in chapter 3 of Titus. Uh, we read, uh, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's, he says, the washing of regeneration, regeneration, this being born again. And in being born anew by the Spirit, we're cleansed. We're cleansed. And he renews us in the Holy Spirit. But, but now he's talking about something similar, but just another picture of it. This sealing of the Holy Spirit. That he's sealed us in Christ by the Spirit. This isn't something that happens 10 years after you believe. It's, it's something that happens when you believe. You're sealed. These are two sides, if you will, of, of the same coin. You, coin. you believe in, and you're sealed at the same time. Paul wouldn't have any idea about someone who had believed and not been sealed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, you may remember um, in Acts chapter 19, we have uh, an incident where Paul comes across uh, a group of men in Ephesus, of all places, and um, and he asked them this question. Let me read Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men 
in all. The, the point of all of this isn't speaking in tongues or any of that. The point is that when, when Paul was inquiring to them as to whether they were really believers in Jesus, he could have said, do you believe in Jesus? Or he said, have you received the Holy Spirit? It was one and the same question. You couldn't believe in Jesus without receiving the Holy Spirit. You couldn't receive the Holy Spirit without <laughs> believing in Jesus. And so his sense, the sense that the sealing comes, he seals us in Christ when we believe. It's logically together, sealing the Holy Spirit. But what does it mean that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit? Well, in Paul's day, seals were uh, had various functions. Uh, the first one we learned was that the sealing is a mark of authenticity um, to confirm something as uh, genuine. Uh, for instance, if you have a passport, it has a seal on it. And it's, that seal is really important. Um, uh, that says this is an authentic U.S. Passport. This is an authentic passport. If you um, get a, a letter, as I've said before, from the governor and you're curious as to whether or not it's just a prank being played on you by your friends, uh, you should look for the governor's seal that says this is authentic. It's real. And so when we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ, it means this is real. This is authentic. This is really, really, really true. You are one who has obtained this inheritance as a child of God, and it is really true that you belong to God, that you are his, this seal of the Holy Spirit. The second uh, mark, uh, the second meaning of this seal is that it's a mark of ownership. Um, in the days of Paul, even today, if you have cattle, you brand them, and that's a mark that you, this cattle belongs to you uh, and not to anyone else. And so it's a mark of ownership and thus, when we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, it means that God has bought us. We belong to him. We are really uh, his, you see. Um, and then a seal uh, renders something secure. You remember, and after Jesus was crucified, put him in a tomb. And uh, in order to secure the tomb, Pilate had it sealed with his mark. And he said, now, this is, you can't get in here. Nobody can get out. Uh, the joke was on him. But, uh, but it was to keep it, if you will, secure. This really is mine. It really belongs uh, to me. And so we're really secure. And so the sealing of the Holy Spirit, you see, in us is to bring us this great assurance that we really do uh, belong, uh, really do belong to God. Um, Romans chapter 8. Verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, we've received this spirit of adoption. And so the Spirit then assures us he witnesses with our spirit. We know this to be true. We've, he's convinced us already. But when we go through various difficulties, we can find that we wonder about whether or not we really do belong to God. And as we hear the word, then it reassures us. It witnesses with our spirit that we really do belong to him. I mentioned 
at the time of uh, our prayer of confession that Jonathan Edwards wrote a, a book uh, entitled The Distinguishing Marks um, of a Work of the Holy Spirit. It had a longer title. I won't burden you with it. But that's the sense of it. In fact, just as we talk about it, it's we, everyone just simply refers to it as the distinguishing marks. That's kind of its kind of nickname when you speak of this. And, and Edwards uh, was writing at a time when there was great revival. And every time there's great revival, there's counterfeit as well. And so he was writing about how do we distinguish whether it's been a real true work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life or not. And of course, that's a difficult thing to distinguish, uh, particularly in the short run. It takes a long period of time. Uh, you, you can tell over a long period of time who, who continues in the faith, you see. Uh, if we continue in the faith, then we can be assured that was a real work of the Holy Spirit. Someone's wavering or falling away. We have to scratch our heads and we don't know. Uh, and so it's this continuing on in the faith. So in the short run, it's difficult in the long run. But he was writing in the short run and these revivals were going through and, and he had to, he had to talk about it. And he said, well, he said, it's, it's not in what we might think, these outward expressions of enthusiasm or excitement, as he put it. All the tears and the groanings and, and becoming weak in body, we would call being slain in the spirit in certain traditions. Um, he says, no, that's really not the distinguishing mark of the Spirit. Those kinds of things can happen in various venues. Concerts, we would say, at a ball game, right? All this, you've had all those feelings at Allen Fieldhouse uh, from time to time. Uh, so it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's been a work of the Holy Spirit. Um, maybe. But he says, so these are the things. These are the enduring things. What about your esteem for Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? Your sin in particular. Is that increasing? Is that growing? Are, are you seeing him increasingly more and more as, as the one to whom you're grateful for what he's done? And you realize that without him you're lost. I mean, so you esteem Jesus increasingly. Secondly, he says, what about, what about Satan and your own sin? Do you oppose the reign of Satan? And are you sensitive, increasingly, and despising of your own sin? That is, do you come to uh, confession and repentance? We always say that you can tell when you're sort of growing in your faith is when the time between you sin and you confess it honestly shortens. You don't live in the denial that all oh, everything is well or, or I, I'm not trying to make up for the sin that I've done. No, you just simply admit it. You honestly admit it and you're moved to admit it. And so, so that sense of, of, of distance between when I sin and when I uh, confess it shortens. And, and there's a real sense of repentance that, that, that I desire to turn from this sin. I realize what it's doing to me. I realize it's killing me. And so I want to turn from this sin. So that's a real, um, um, evidence, if you will, of a, of a work of the Holy Spirit. And then, as I mentioned, too, at our confession time, this, this sense that I desire amendment of my life, that is a change in my life. Yeah, that speaks to me of the, the Holy Spirit. Um, a third uh, point that he made was that we have an interest in God's word, that we're more attuned to it, that we desire to read it. We go, this is really the word of God. And so I need to read it and listen and understand and walk accordingly. 
Another mark of the Spirit, he says that we love the, the true doctrines of the church and we're willing to defend them. And then finally, he says, what about your love? Is your love for God increasing? Is your love for Christ increasing? Is your love for the people of God increasing? What's going on there? He says, now, if we see that, then we can be assured that the Holy Spirit is at work uh, in, in our lives. Uh, that is uh, the work of the Spirit in us. And then, of course, this work of the Spirit in us to keep us. Uh, to keep us. If I could quote Mr. Calvin again. Um, he writes this about the Holy Spirit. What's fascinating, just a little bit of a side, what's fascinating is we often think of uh, John Calvin as the theologian of election and predestination. In the history of theology, Calvin is known as the theologian of the Holy Spirit. That's how he's known. In fact, B.B. Uh, Warfield, who was a, a theologian in Princeton Seminary in the turn of the early parts of the 20th century when Princeton um, was at its high point, as a seminary, um, wrote this about Calvin. He said, in the same sense in which we may say that the doctrine of sin and grace dates from Augustine, and the doctrine of satisfaction from Anselm, and the doctrine of justification by faith from Luther, we must say that the doctrine of the work of the Holy Spirit is a gift from Calvin to the church. So here's what Calvin says about this power of the Holy Spirit to keep us. He says, let us notice how volatile men are and in women, people. He that is best disposed to follow God will soon fall, for we are so frail that the devil will overcome us every minute of time if God does not hold us up with a strong hand. For if he did not fight for us, alas, what would become of us? We should be absolutely confounded, and not by reason of one stroke only, but there would be an infinite number of falls. As soon as we were in the way of salvation, we should at once be turned out of it by our own frailty, lightness, and inconsistency. If we're not restrained and if God did not so work in us that we might, by his Holy Spirit, overcome all the assaults of the devil and the world, the Spirit is pleased to abide in us and give us perseverance that we do not draw back in the midst of our way. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You remember when Jesus was with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he was telling them that he was going to go away. And you can only imagine what the fear that must have come upon them and, and perhaps even grief. What do you mean you're leaving us? How will we survive if, 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 if you leave us? And he says, well, don't worry. I'm sending another comforter, as it's translated, or another helper. The Greek is parakletos, paraklete. I'm sending another one, meaning like myself, who will be able to help you. And that was to give them strength. That was to encourage them. And we need to realize that when we heard and believed, we were sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit. This very Holy Spirit that Jesus promised, the promised Holy Spirit. He was promised in the Old Testament by Ezekiel. He was promised in the Old Testament by Joel. Yeah, he, Jesus promises him. He says he's really going to come, this very promised Holy Spirit. That's why when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost and the people were cut to the heart, they said, what must we do? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, this very promised Holy Spirit, he's the one who'll come. 
And he's the one who'll keep you. He'll keep you, you see. He'll strengthen you and help you and cause you to stand, as the hymn says. For we're upheld by his righteous omnipotent hand. It's this Holy Spirit who will keep us, you see. Not we ourselves. Oh, there are means. We read the scripture and the Spirit helps us. We pray and the Spirit helps us, you see. We're in fellowship and the Spirit helps us. When we divorce ourselves from those means, we wonder about our own salvation. But the Holy Spirit, you see, he's the one who keeps us and secures us, if you will. And then finally this, he says, he's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Uh, If you have an English Standard Version, it uh, also has an alternative translation to that, that he is the guarantee of uh, our inheritance until God redeems his possession. (laughs) It's just that little play again as to whether or not we receive or we are the inheritance. Either way, the point is he keeps us. He's the guarantee of all of that. Now, this word guarantee, in fact, some other versions put it very simply, that he's the down payment or the earnest money. You know, that if you buy a, make a big purchase, a house, a car, very often um, you have to borrow money to do that. You can't pay it all up front at once, generally, for things like that. So what do you do? Well, you go in and you put a certain percentage of that down, you, if you buy a, I don't know, whatever amount, you give, let's say, 20% down on a house or 10% down on a house, whatever it is, you're saying, here's, I've got some of it, I'm giving you money, I'm not giving you my watch, I'm giving you money, and this is what you want from me, and so I'm giving you money, and, and, and I'm giving you enough that you should be confident that I'm good for the rest of it. And so you see, the Holy Spirit to us is that guarantee, that down payment. It isn't just he gives us a little bit of the Spirit. That isn't it. Like you get 20% of the Holy Spirit down, and then you you know, work it out the rest of your life. Finally, when you die, you get 100%. That isn't his point. His point is that I'm good for it, that the Holy Spirit is the foretaste. The Holy Spirit is, 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 is bringing to you that which is one day to come in its fullness. It isn't here yet in its fullness. We know that. A day will come when it will be. But for now, the Spirit of God, you see, is going to bring all the things that are going to be true in the future to you now in a certain measure, in a certain way. You'll have joy. Will you have the same joy that you're going to have in eternity? No, 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 no. But you'll know the joy. You'll have peace. Will you have the same peace? No, no. But you'll have peace, you see. You'll know forgiveness of sins. But you'll still struggle with sin. A day will come when you'll not even struggle with sin anymore. The Spirit will bring it completely. But right now you'll know forgiveness of sin. We have some victory over sin. Yes, some victory over sin. Will you rule and reign on the earth? Yes, in some way. As we declare the gospel, as we pray, as we live our lives, we'll influence the world in which we live in various ways. But we won't rule and reign in the same way as we will when Jesus comes and we're on the new earth and we're ruling and reigning with him. But he says it's a foretaste now. You're, you, you'll enjoy some of this, the benefits of, of your inheritance or some of the benefits of belonging to God, of being his. And, and, and that's, so, so what do we need to see? We need to see our esteem for Jesus growing. Because in glory we will love him. 
We need to see uh, our hatred and opposition to the reign of Satan and, and, and the presence of sin in our lives. Because in glory, there'll be no sin and be no reign of Satan at all. Right? We need to love to listen to the word of God and to hear it. Because in glory, we'll be captivated by the word of God. We should love the doctrines of the church because in glory we'll love the doctrines of the church. And we're to love God now and to love one another now because in glory the love we have for God will be perfect and the love we have for one another will be perfect. You see, we have a foretaste of it all now. And the Holy Spirit, you see, is the guarantee of all of that. And the end result is that will be made to be the praise of his glory. And that's wonderful. What could be better? I mean, basically, when we say we're to live to the praise of his glory, we're going to worship him for all that he's done for us, and we'll be to the praise of his glory, meaning we'll reflect him, we'll reflect the very glory of God, and everything will reflect the glory of God. And, and there could be nothing better than that. I suppose if you're a student, there could be nothing better than a professor taking you under his or her wing and saying, listen, I'm going to, 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 to work in you and, and, and in such a way that when you leave this, you'll reflect who I am. And if this is a great professor, you'll go, whoa, that's great. Or if you're an athlete and, and, and a great athlete takes you under his or her wing and says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to teach you and train you in such a way that, that at a certain period of time you're going to reflect me. And if that's Michael Jordan or if that's you know, fill in the blank, your favorite athlete, then you go, that, that's, I couldn't think of anything greater than that. And God says, here's the deal. You're mine. I'm going to work in such a way that you will be to the praise of my glory. That a day will come when you'll be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ and you'll reflect him perfectly. You know, there's a metaphor, an image in scripture of God as the potter. And dust that we're the clay. Now there are times when we look at that image and, and, and we just sort of cringe. Because we've all seen that scene of a potter and his wheel and clay. And we'd rather be the potter than the clay, we think. Because the clay <laughs> seems to be going through a tough time of being molded and shaped and sometimes changed. And all the instruments that are used look, look painful. And, 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 and yet at the end of the day, what the potter's trying to, to, to come up with is this beautiful pot, if you will. And that's our lives. The potter is sovereign over all things, works all things in such a way that we become to the praise of his glory. We should praise him for being the potter and working in such a way because the end result of what he has for us is our complete and thorough and utter salvation. Let's pray. Father, pray for us that we'd get it, that we'd, we'd embrace God, you as our potter, we, and our place as being the ones 
that you're molding and making. Father, things we go through in life that are difficult and we wonder, do I really belong to God? And you, by your spirit and word, speak to us, yes, you belong to me. Trust. And even in the midst of difficulties, there are times we say, we can't leave. No one else has the words of eternal life. But you, God. But you, Jesus. And we know that's the work of the Spirit in us to enable us to persevere even through difficult times. Because we know that present suffering isn't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. That even in the midst of the life in which we presently live, that all of our suffering is producing an eternal weight of glory. So, Father, continue, we pray, to work in us. Holy Spirit, continue to comfort us, to help us, to lead us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to assure us that we really have this great inheritance, that we really are God's possession and belong to him. Father, I'm thinking of some in our congregation, just as they come to mind as those who are Having difficult times, Brad Kaler, Father, pray for him as he perhaps faces these last days of his life, months, whatever. With this cancer that no one seems to know what to do about, but continue, God, to grant him grace and strength. For Sue Washburn, Father, in Germany, after having suffered this stroke, we pray that you would continue to bring healing there and Father, we pray that you would continue to work in such a way that all the plans that need to come to fruition for her to return to the States for rehab would fall into place, come into place, and that she would be able to be back here in the States soon. Father, and this morning I ask that you would be with Elaine Jones and her family, her dad Frank, and her brother and sister, uh, as they grieve the loss of Elaine's mom. and Let's pray for that family today, Father. And for others who know difficulty in various ways, that you would be with us all. Holy Spirit, give us great assurance that we do, in fact, belong to God, that we are his possessions, possession, and he will give to us every good and perfect gift. And this we pray in Jesus' name.